that's certainly uh, something that's going on. I'd say other kind of when you think of from a business standpoint, uh, issues that are maybe relevant to, to your listeners. It has to do with integration. So integrating companies, I should say. So I mentioned earlier, we have this Geller Global Group holding company. And in that, we've got different importing businesses. And I run one of them called Comerican. We have another one called Atalanta, another one called JF Braun. There's five of them in total. And one thing we are embarking on is bringing all five companies together. You are listening to Fingerprints on Success, the podcast dedicated to highlighting unique imprints left by business leaders, mentors, and successful entrepreneurs. In this show, we'll be bringing on a diverse range of serial entrepreneurs, professionals, leaders, and coaches to uncover the secrets behind achieving success both professionally and personally. Guiding you on this podcast is none other than Bill Barrett, an award-winning corporate and business law attorney and CEO of the law firm Mandelbaum Barrett PC, where he and his team have provided a full array of legal services to both businesses and individuals throughout the country. Get ready and let's get to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Fingerprints on Success. My name is Bill Barrett. I'm the CEO of Mandelbaum Barrett, and this is our podcast where we dive in and explore the lives of successful business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives in all different verticals and businesses throughout the country. Today, my guest was Josh Gellert. Josh is the president of Comerican International, which is a global food sourcing company headquartered in New Jersey. Josh had a very interesting background through business in many different areas and verticals from investment banking to branding, but ultimately found his way back to what is a multi-generational family business. I think that episode is really interesting to hear about Josh's journey. And also, I love the takeaways of having a positive mindset, viewing the world as a place of abundance and not scarcity and a place of unlimited opportunity. I also love Josh's uh, parts in the episode where he talks about the importance of family and the emphasis of hard work and being growth-oriented and growth-minded. Particularly love the story about his uh, siblings having to work in the yard on Saturdays and Sundays with his dad, which I think goes right into uh, the mentorship that he had. So without further ado, I really think you're going to enjoy Today's episode featuring Josh Gellert, the president of Comerican International. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Barrett, chief executive officer of Mandelbaum Barrett. I want to welcome you today to our podcast, Fingerprints on Success. Today, I welcome my guest, Josh Gellert, who's the president of Comerican International, which is a global food sourcing company based right here in Paramus, New Jersey. Uh, Comerican sources fruits, vegetables, seafood from around the world and delivers these products to customers, including the likes of Walmart, Costco, Panera Bread, Cisco, and Campbell Soup, just to name a few. Josh and I have known each other for a number of years. I thought it would be fun to have him on the program today because Josh has a couple of interesting things that I think in his background in that one, he came from a corporate background and 
into a family business that is entrepreneurial in nature and privately owned. And also, I think that it's very interesting that Josh works in a multi-generational family business with also different members of the family as well from, uh, uh, you know, so I think it's really um, for many of our listeners who are part of family legacies and businesses, I think it's a very uh, interesting story. And Josh, you know, tell us a little bit uh, about, you know, give us a a little sense of what you do now and how you got there. Okay. So living in California, working at Nestle and and Haagen-Dazs, and I get a call from my cousin, Tom, who's at our food importing business in New Jersey saying, hey, we've recently acquired another company and the guy who runs it probably has, you know, five to 10 years left in managing this company. Would you come back east and join the family business with the goal of taking over from this gentleman that was running this new division? And it was a really tough decision for my wife and I. We had three little kids in California. I loved working at Nestle. She had a great career herself. We loved Northern California. And it was one of these forks in the road decisions. Do you, you know, do you live your life in California or you go back home to New Jersey? A lot of sleepless nights, to be honest. We weren't really sure what to do. And we decided to go for it. And we ended up making the move back to New Jersey. It was probably, you know, 12 months later by the time the kids finished up school. But we got to New Jersey, joined the family business, which Bill mentioned, this food importing business, a global sourcing business. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And, you know, working in a family business, I, I love my family. And, and you're never sure what it's going to be like working in, day out in a family business. My uncle is my uncle's business. My dad uh, has been, his brother has been at his side for 50 years. They are uh, 85 and 82. And then my uncle has three uh, kids in the business. My cousins, Andy, Amy, and Tom, who are, you know, approximately my age, all a little bit older than me, but, you know, grew up with them, very close with them. And and it's been terrific in partnering with them, all of them, all five of them to uh, help grow this food importance. Now, let me ask you, did you, was there... You know, when you had these other endeavors and you worked at Nestle and, you know, you were in investment banking, you did these other things, like deep down, did you think that there was a good chance you might come to this business and and at some point work in it? Was it something that you thought was likely to happen or did it, was it like a shock to you when you got that phone call and and that you made that decision? Yeah. You know, uh, so family business. And and it's really my uncle, it's my uncle's business. He had, uh, it was his father-in-law's business. So uh, he took it over from his father-in-law 50 years ago. He asked his brother, my dad, uh, at the time to help him run it at that time. And and they kind of built it from there. But I always viewed it as my uncle's business. And not necessarily my destiny to uh, to join this company. That being said, Bill, deep down, I knew, hey, if things got really, really bad and I didn't have a, any work or whatever, you had this as a fallback, which there was some nice peace of mind to that. There's no question about it, that that was there, although wasn't sure what, what was really there. I knew I could probably do something there if needed. 
But my journey, I would say, from investment banker to management consultant to brand management and then eventually to, to family business was one of just trying to understand, you know, the working world. And when you're, I, I went to undergrad at Cornell and coming out of Cornell, investment banking was kind of the hot job to do. Sure. It certainly made a lot of money. And, you know, myself being competitive, okay, I want to go into investment banking. And, and that, that's the job. And as I worked for three years in investment banking, I was pretty good at it, but it wasn't my passion. And you spend a lot of hours working in investment banking. And for me, and looking at my colleagues there, some of them really loved reading about their deal in the Wall Street Journal or, or some of the perks of the job. And that wasn't as interesting to me. I, I, I wanted more of a well-rounded business experience. And that's kind of why I went to business school and then eventually consulting and then eventually brand. And I remember uh, my younger brother telling me one time that went from banking to consulting to brand management. And each time I switched careers, my salary dropped. And he said, <laughs> he said Go in the wrong direction, bro. Yeah. Said, <laughs> you know, as you go up in your career, you're supposed to make more money, not less. But the money thing, I figured it would come and it wasn't the driver for me. For me, it was really finding a career that I was passionate about. And, and I'm really happy I ended up in this family business. And I love work, which is, uh, you know, a little nerdy and, and geeky, but I don't view it as work. And it's really interesting to me. And I'm really happy I found a career that the amount of time I spend on it, I don't mind doing. In fact, I like doing it, which is kind of neat. How many years now? Have you, since you made that move and been with the company? Yeah, it's almost 15 years. It's probably 14 years, okay. uh, but it's been a while. And uh, and it's had, you know, we've had our challenges and, and sure. a lot of great Now, when did you become the president of the company? So when I joined, I told you earlier, when I joined, there was a gentleman who was running Comerican. His name is Larry. Larry, the Comerican itself has its own history, 100-year-old history of which was a family business at well at some point. Larry took over the business from his father. Uh, the Gellert Global Group, our umbrella holding company, which Comerican's part of, is uh, Larry was running the Comerican division and said to my uncle, my dad, hey, I'm going to be retiring in the next five to 10 years. Let's bring in the next generation. I joined Comerican. There was maybe 30 people there. And we were doing probably $140 million in sales. This is 14, 15 years ago. And Larry and I worked together for 10 years of those 15. And I did different roles along the way. I started in sales, then moved to procurement, and then eventually moved to kind of administration, uh, you know, overseeing the, the company with Larry. And Larry was a terrific mentor for me in really, you know, he had climbed the hill and he was ready to help someone else get up on that hill and kind of coached me, guided me, mentored me along the way. And I'm, I'm forever thankful for that experience and uh, his coaching. And, and although Larry's out of the day to day, he still remains as a advisor on our board. And I have breakfast once a month with Larry at our local diner. And, you know, it's just, 
more shooting the shit a little bit around what's going on with the business and certainly getting his advice. Anytime I have a question, I would go to Larry, hey, how would you handle this situation? Or how would you do this? He just has decades and decades of experience that it's really lucky to be able to tap into. And he's been a great mentor for me, you know, on top of obviously the family foundation that I have. And and on top of Larry, I had my uncle, my dad, my cousins all there supporting me and, and helping grow Comerican together, which has been yeah. terrific. Yeah, I could very much relate to that because in becoming CEO of my law firm, you know, I had the benefit of my mentor, Barry Mandelbaum, uh, you know, still being full-time working and be able to be by his side and really learn how to run a business, run a law firm. And as I like to tell people, you know, what better way than the first several years you're running a business is to to have the benefit of of a mentor who's done it for, you know, decades to lean on and to learn and to pick their brain. And that's really uh, invaluable. It's interesting too, you mentioned that you kind of did a whole bunch of different jobs when you got there. And it's, and when I look back on some of the episodes of our podcast and we have multi-generational family businesses, a common theme is the older generation kind of requiring the next generation to make sure that they know all the different jobs within the company. And as a, you know, almost like not only paying your dues, as they say, along the way, but also really learning all the different components of the business. And it's interesting how often that comes up in these conversations. You know, we just had a a interview with a client of ours and a good friend in the insulation business for fiberglass insulation. And he talked about how, you know, he was out working as an installer and, you know, and so on, like right from the the very bottom all the way up to the top. So it's interesting how that that fires through. So so let me change gears on you a little bit. Yep. When you look at, you know, been with the company now, you know, joined the business for 15 years, became president and, you know, significantly grew the business, you know, from 140 million in sales to where are you guys now, at, you know, 600 million this year. Yeah. And, and, and employees, which brings a whole nother element of challenges was 40 or so you said then to how many now? Yeah, we got 130 people today. So yeah, that's, it's a, it's a different business for sure. Very, very. So let me ask you this question. I mean, that that is remarkable success, exponential growth, exponential success. When you reflect on your business journey, do you think that there's a couple guiding principles or philosophies that now when you look at it, maybe at the time you didn't even know they were guiding principles or philosophies, but now that you look at it and you look at the success, you say, you know, as a result of that, I feel like like that has made a, a big difference. Anything like that you could share with us? Yeah. You know, when I think of the growth of the company, it, it's certainly a, a team effort, Bill. And I was very fortunate to walk into an opportunity with a great foundation. When I went into Comerican, I mentioned it was 30 people. The team that Larry had built there had all been there forever. Like I walked around and introduced myself that first day. The 30 people I met, I think the youngest one was like 40 years old. And they'd all been there 20 years, 25 years. Hey, I've been here 15 years. That core group 
had a real loyalty to Comeric and to the Geller Global Group, our parent company. And that foundation had decades and decades of experience and expertise that allowed us to build a great foundation for growth. I was coming in with experiences from outside, you know, the import space that I could really leverage and use to help build on top of this foundation to build a successful company. And I think what I've enjoyed over the 15 years is having a great team and building a great team. It started with that foundation and then adding on new blood with new ideas to help us continue to grow. Each person we've added has brought their own perspective, their own ideas, and it's been really a group effort to build it. And it's been a ton of fun and and really nice. On top of it, just so you understand the way we're set up, Comerican's one company within the group, but we have other sister companies that together, I mentioned Comerican's 600 million, but together the group does about 1.7 billion. So our scale, our size, and certainly having that family foundation too was a great part of uh, ensuring our success so far. And, and in my mind, we're just getting going. That's well, that's great. You, you know, you talked about people bringing a lot to the table and the importance of of team. How do you foster, you know, a, an environment right where you can get the best of those people? You know, so where people feel comfortable being able to give their opinion or their ideas and make that contribution. You know, how do how do you foster that? Yeah, I would I would say, Bill, for our team and our organization, it's it we have no egos. And I tell people when I meet them with their joining the team, there's no egos here. We have not figured out how to run this company as efficiently as it can be. And any new person that comes in, you know, it's interesting. If you've been at a company for a while, you just expect, hey, this is how we do stuff. Of course, this is the the way, the path to follow to do whatever task. Someone who comes new to the company is kind of coming in with a fresh perspective. And I really encourage them not to get caught up into, hey, this is the American way. Okay, I got to do A, B, C, and D. I want them to question things because we're kind of blind. After a while, you don't realize oh, this may be a better way. You just are are caught in the routine and the way we've set it up initially. Maybe we did it right. Maybe we didn't. Those new people are coming in. I I push them. Before those blinders build up, you've got to keep questioning the way we're doing stuff. Why, why, why? And there may be more efficient ways. And and our business, we're in the food business, Bill. It's thin margins. Uh, You know, I I told you 1.6 billion. Yeah, that makes us feel proud. But, you know, we're on single digit uh, margins in our business. It's just different. But so every efficient idea matters and can really make a difference, especially when we have the scale that we do. So everybody's uh, contributing. Everybody's part of it. And we build out a great team. I do think as we build out those teams and we built it out at Comerican and, and the Global Group in general, every person we add, if you add a good person, they bring other good people. And it's like this positive snowball that we have building and kind of rolling downhill in, in a very good way. Yeah. The old birds of a feather. Uh, exactly. You know, 
I, I think that sometimes some of the the best new lawyers that we get in or new employees to the firm are often the the introductions of the people that are already there that are part of the culture and they, they see somebody that they think will thrive in the culture and it's it's amazing how those folks seem to like work out incredibly well almost a hundred percent of the time which is which is kind of interesting yeah it's a good point you know on the culture standpoint and certainly listen we're we're uh our, our group 130 people, 140 people at Comerican. Uh, the group does has about 550, 600 people. It's been, as we've grown, trying to think through the culture standpoint is really, really important, right? And you mentioned a good culture. Uh, we've had some star performers that haven't fit in culturally. And, and what do you do? You know, we're not that big. Hey, do we get rid of someone? who's really, really good at their job, but is upsetting many, many, many people along the way. And we've had to make those tough choices. What we've said is that, yes, you've got to fit culturally. And we've had to make some tough decisions, letting go some strong performers that that just weren't a good, good fit culturally, because they can be very poisonous to and ruin a really good thing. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's incredible how one toxic individual can take a really thriving culture and a successful environment and really turn it upside down. I mean, you know, the old, the rotten apple, so to speak, is an issue. And and look, you know, the thing too is when you do make those tough decisions, right, you're making a statement to everybody else about your value system. You're not, yes. You know, you don't just core values just aren't like a sign on the wall in the office. You're, you you got to live by the core values. And as soon as you put that sign up on the wall, you know, with and say this is what we stand for. You know, you better stand for it because your people, right, will call you out or at least kind of be disappointed that it's really it's words and not action. So, hundred percent. Yeah. So another question for you is again, kind of reflecting on history on the journey. Uh, we talked about success and principles, and in your case, team the importance of of teams and key individuals. Um, what are some pitfalls like, you know, for our entrepreneurs that are out there listening, uh, people that are trying to scale and grow their companies who are listening? What are some pitfalls that when you look back, like maybe you wouldn't have done something a certain way or things that you tried to avoid it, as issues? Yeah, I would say for me, I and we've talked about team building, I've certainly uh, tried to stress to the team you've got to be open with me. You know, you can get very quickly, uh, you know, people, when you're the leader of a company or leader of whatever, and you're deciding people's bonuses and, and things like that, you can get, uh, hey, everybody loves me. You know, they're all nice to me. They're Right. And to me, you've got to stay <laughs> humble in this thing because, yes, everybody, you know, wants to make you happy at work and yeah. to me pushing people to tell you the truth and how they really feel and be comfortable telling you bad news telling you things you don't want to hear hey that went great uh actually it didn't and these are some things you can do better is really important and i really really appreciate when my team has the guts in some ways to tell me things that i did wrong and as much as it may hurt 
me and, and my pride, that's the only way to get better. And listen, you got to stay humble. And, and I know I can always do things better. And, and I tell my team the same thing. We can all do better, right? And being comfortable hearing that and making sure you're encouraging people to, to tell you is the most important piece for me. And gets hard. It's hard for people to do that. And, uh, you know, making it a safe place to do that has been a part of our success, I think. Enjoying the show so far? We've received fantastic feedback since we started, and we love your questions. Entrepreneurs face unique challenges, and as a corporate attorney and CEO, Bill understands that. Whether it's your first location, industry regulations, succession plans, or exit strategies for your business, the journey is rarely a smooth one. Mandelbaum Barrett PC offers listeners of this podcast a 20-minute consultation with their award-winning team. From mergers and acquisitions to litigation, they help entrepreneurs navigate new opportunities, get invaluable insights, and support to not just survive, but thrive. Click the link in the episode description or visit mblawfirm.com for details. Once again, it's mblawfirm.com. Now, back to our show. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. It, you know, it, it's interesting too uh, when you go through that, and as you're kind of elevating up in a business or growing a business, sometimes the people who know you from the beginning, uh, and they could be significantly subordinate to you, right? It could be it could be an assistant somewhere that in the company that knows you from when you first got there, and maybe you developed a rapport or a friendship. And you know, I've found over the years that those people can kind of call me out on my own BS. And because they do know that there's no negative ramification. And in fact, I appreciate it. Yep. And getting creating an environment where the newer person can respectfully, but confidently be able to express the same things is, is that that's a hard thing to do because you don't necessarily have the history. They come in the door where you're already the boss. And it's a different dynamic than the person who used to go have a sandwich with you at lunch, right? So, yeah, that's it's kind of uh, interesting to reflect on that. So earlier, you talked a little bit about Larry. I want to just segue into, you know, there's a few reasons why our show is called Fingerprints on Success. But a big part of it is talking about most of the successful people that we know, entrepreneurs, business owners, clients. It's very common that people have one or more key mentors that that really made a difference. So when you reflect, you know, on your success and how you got here, what are some of the things about, you know, the people that mentored you or the experience you had that made a big difference for you? I would say uh, family is huge in this bill and and having grown up around my father my uncle and and they had a huge influence on me just to back a little background on them there are four boys in the family you know the generation above me my dad and and three uncles they grew up on a chicken farm in upstate new york 
And they grew up working hard on this farm where my dad would tell us stories, you know, and again, take everything with a grain of salt. But I think this was somewhat true. But, you know, getting up at 5 a.m., his job was to check on the baby chickens. And he had to do this every morning, you know, winter, summer, whatever it was, go to the hen house, check on the baby chickens before school. And then, you know, (laughs) walk to school uphill both ways kind of thing. Right. In the snow barefoot, right? <laughs> so I think a little grain of salt, but they certainly, my dad, my, all my uncles have a tremendous work ethic that, you know, really, it wasn't like anybody ever said, hey, you got to work hard. It was just expected. That's just the way we did stuff. And being in a family business and working with them now side by side, along with my cousins who also grew up with this mentality, work, 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 it is definitely a big part of who I am and a big part of my success. Um, And I think all of our success in in the family side of it, for better or worse, we all enjoy it. And, you know, we've got Thanksgiving coming up this week here. And I know when I'm at Thanksgiving, yes, we'll talk how the kids for like two minutes and then an hour of, hey, what's going on with the business? We got to do this. We got to do that. And most people, when I talk about our Thanksgiving, it doesn't sound that relaxing. I talk about work the whole time. I'm raising it like work, family is all intertwined and it's just normal to, to us and, and isn't stressful. It's like we're working together to build something and it's kind of fun. So certainly from a mentor, a big impact on my life. It's certainly been the family aspect and, and the family food business aspect has been a huge, huge part of, of everything I've done and, and really happy to be now, you know, contributing to helping drive that business myself. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a friend who owns uh, a company. In fact, he's he's uh, been a guest on this show and he always talks about how he hates when he hears people talk about work-life balance. Right. Because he just laughs. He's like, I am me, my life, my family, my work. It's all intertwined. And it's just who I am. So like he doesn't feel the need that certain things have to be turned on or turned off. And he would tell stories about owns a large one of the largest executive coaching businesses in the country. And he talks about how when his kids were like toddlers, They'd be in the back of the room at the hotel running around while he was doing presentations and they grew up like, you know, with this in their blood. Right. And it was just who they were. So I actually don't find it to be at all unusual, but, you know, because it's similar in my house. So (laughs) it is uh, it's different. And certainly, you know, I know I sat around the kitchen table hearing stories about work and learning about it. And certainly my kids ask me and it's and you just learn a tremendous amount from those offhand conversations or being around them that helps me today. And I think is part of that foundation that I have that's allowed me to be successful for sure. What's great. And, and, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, Josh is, and this is always like something that I get a lot of different answers for. Let's talk a little bit about a current events topic, right? You know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Uh, Unfortunately, more craziness and things that we wish weren't happening in the world. But when you think about kind of 
a current topic or issue that's kind of front of mind, that's hot for you, that you're navigating or dealing with right now, what's something that you can share with our entrepreneurs and business owners out there that is kind of front of your mind these days? Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you met two, there's two different things I, I can comment on, Bill. And certainly you look at the state of the world and it is a scary place right now between two wars going on, Ukraine and Israel, and then all the polarization and company in, in, sorry, in the world and in our country, I should say, even it's sad and upsetting. And, and one thing that I, really enjoy about the business that we're in and you think of us we're sourcing product from around the world 40 different countries we have suppliers and long-term relationships business relationships but also friendships with with these suppliers around the world and to me once you get to know people from a different culture you learn about them learn about their history, their culture, you have a real appreciation for them. And certainly when I look at all the challenges this world has, and I, I don't know, hey, we're not going to solve it, but certainly learning about different people, different cultures, all of that stuff, I think can make a difference. And, and I do really enjoy that aspect of a uh, job in terms of the global nature of it and learning and in some ways you know representing the u.s and you know hey we're not so bad uh <laughs> and hopefully making just a little drop of difference in this world we live in is important so that's certainly uh something that's going on i'd say other kind of when you think of from a business standpoint uh issues that are maybe relevant to, to your listeners it has to do with integration. So integrating companies, I should say. So I mentioned earlier, we have this Gellert Global Group holding company. And in that, we've got different importing businesses. And I run one of them called Comerican. We have another one called Atalanta, another one called JF Braun. There's five of them in total. And one thing we are embarking on is bringing all five companies together as one team. They've been run independently, but as I've spoken to my cousins and my uncle and father, the idea is, hey, let's bring them together, leverage our scale. Instead of being a $600 million company, now we're a $1.6 billion company as you add them all up. And there's a subduplication that we can use those resources more efficiently. So, okay going from managing a team of 140 people to 600 people, that's a big difference. We've got a bigger team to help us. And certainly my cousins who manage the other parts of the business will all work together to manage this bigger company. But our one of our biggest challenges in bringing this company together is our foundation as a family business. We pride ourselves on knowing all of our employees, having relationships with all those employees. And okay, that worked when I joined a 30-person company at Comerican. It got a little harder when we got to 140 people. Now we're talking about 600 people. And how do you keep that family feel, that family touch for 600 people? It is hard. 
and something that we are trying to navigate through. Think of ways to connect and keep that family uh, feel. I just got back. We were I was at the office today. We had a potluck Thanksgiving lunch. Every employee brought in something, and and we had people from different cultures. There was Mexican food there. It was very you know Italian. Everybody's got their influence on right. how they Thanksgiving. And that's what our company is all about. And it was really, really nice to all be together and sharing with our work family together. And, and that's what we've got to find ways to keep that culture and that family culture. It is different working for a family business versus, you know, a JP Morgan Chase or a, or a Nestle where I worked previously. And I really like the family culture and it gets harder and harder as we keep growing. So that's certainly a challenge that we haven't fully figured out how to handle, but trying. Well, well, as you figure it out, we'll have to share notes because, you know, one of the things that I've always been very proud of with our law firm is I've always talked about that we're very much run like a family business and it's very personal and we know each other and knowing who every single employee is. And now that we've crossed over the 200 employee mark, I completely relate to what you're saying because that is starts to become a challenge, you know, and now all of a sudden you have leadership teams and and people that are responsible for different things. And, you know, for the first time, you know, there are people who get hired in different positions that I don't have that I don't meet first. There used right. to be a rule that you like you couldn't walk in the door unless you met like Mr. Mandelbaum and me. And and now that would be, you know. At every position, that would now be impossible. So, uh, when you figure it out, when you figure it out, I want the cliff notes on that. Okay. Yeah, we live in parallel lives for sure, as as both businesses have grown and similar. I used to like meeting everybody. The culture so important. Everything we've been talking about, it's impossible. You don't have time. I used to right. I used to meet one on one with the all new employees. Now I do a group lunch together. Like you've got to find ways to scale it more. Yeah, but at the same time, I really like touching the employees and and getting them to know me, the family, and that's really an important part of our business. Yeah. So, so that's a perfect segue to you know, as you, you reflected on the journey that you've had and talked about and you, you know your mentors and what that meant. What do you do now to try to kind of pay it forward? And you know, do you have kind of you know, an intentional approach to, to how you try to mentor people that are coming up in your organization? Yeah, no, the, uh, you know, the pay it forward thing is interesting. I, I think about my path and my journey from, hey, I want to be an investment banker. That's the cool thing to do. And that's where the money's at. And, and, you know, the movies and all that. And in some ways, okay, that was part of my journey, but I kind of knew you kind of hit on it. Hey, you always grew up around the food business. You knew the food business and maybe hindsight's twenty twenty. But to me, there were steps along the way that maybe I could have skipped if I knew to follow my passion and not follow the crowd. And so for me, I know there's a real, I've always had a passion for the food business. That's where I grew up. But there's also folks out there that, that are interested in the food business, but it's not so sexy per se. And, you know, 
in terms of, so to me, a real passion of mine is trying to interest students. For me, it's the food business, but the same message is whatever your passion is, don't chase the dollars, chase your passion. And right. and as your brother, as your brother pointed out to you, when you were chasing your passions, you were you kept making less money. So money. <laughs> that's okay. I think you can be successful and you want to love what you do, right? We've been talking a lot about it's not work. And some of the people you've had on this podcast don't think of it as work. And I think that's the key to being happy and finding a job you don't mind doing. And it's fun. It's it's a hobby in some ways and interesting. And to me, trying to get that message out to the younger generation. And I'm on an advisory committee at, at Cornell around the food business. So it's people around the food business that have been successful. It's interesting at Cornell Business School, which Cornell is agricultural roots, right? So it used to it started as a business program for farmers and and teaching them how to learn the business side of farming and it's evolved from then. But you look at the undergrad business program and okay, if you've got 100%, 60% of them are going into investment banking, 25% are going into consulting, another 20% are going into tech and very, very few are looking at food, consumer packaged goods and that industry. Right. And they're all, you know, following the crowd, just like I did. So I've been there and certainly talking uh, with the college and trying to find ways to educate folks on you don't have to follow everybody else. And, and there's other paths and there's other ways to be successful. I've been, you know, guest speaker in terms of talking about my career and same thing I did for you. Hey, I went here, I went there, but then finally found my home. and at least putting that in the back of people's minds so they can figure out what's their passion and hopefully figure it out before it's too late because you don't want to be stuck in a career and say, oh no, I can't start over. I can't can't get to what I really want to do because I was chasing the wrong thing. And certainly life goes pretty fast as you and I know with our spinning hair and gray hair. It's like unbelievable. Uh, I don't, Josh, I don't know what you're talking about, but you, you know. look a lot better than I did. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, to me, it's really a time you've got to really use this time to think about what interests you. And everybody has different interests and trying to work with college kids, with high school kids and trying to open their minds so you don't have to follow the crowd and really think about what inspires you, what's your passion and follow that. Yeah. And I think when I look at, at some of our most successful entrepreneurs and clients, that's another common thread is that passion for what their business is. And, you know, I mean, I've had clients who make money and have businesses in every imaginable vertical, even things that you're like, really, people do that? I didn't even know it was a thing, but it's a thing. And it's interesting, too, how the entrepreneur can always... You know, they're oh, the entrepreneur is always the best salesperson for their company because they are passionate about whatever their product is, their services, their product and service. They, they, you know, it's their baby. They're more passionate about it than anybody. And when they convey it or they talk to someone, they're able to penetrate, so to speak, that so much more effectively. And it's because you can't fake that aspect of things, right? You're either like, you really feel it or or you don't. 
And other people pick up on whether you feel it or you don't, right? Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. You know, when you get to this stage of career and life and business, you know, you've had success, you've had financial success. I always like to ask a question about is affectionately known as the why statement, you know? So like you're excited, you love what you do. You, t- you talked about that, that it's not work because, and you love to go to work because you love what you're doing. Like, what is the why behind why you do what you do? Your, what's your why statement, so to speak? Yeah, it's interesting, uh, Bill. And, and I'm not as deep and, and as maybe other people are. And it is interesting in my mind, the influence you can have. And I mentioned family a lot during this. this and, and families had a big influence on me. And I mentioned about my dad and uncles growing up on this farm and on this farm and the way they worked and the way I grew up was go, go, go. You got to keep being productive, essentially. I don't know if that's a healthy thing or not, but it's the way I grew up. And to me, it's all about no relaxing. You got to keep doing something. You got to keep doing something. And that's certainly deep inside me. I remember... As a kid, my dad, we grew up in the suburbs of, of New Jersey and Bergen County. And my dad, I mentioned, grew up on a farm. And every weekend, he would make us, me and my brother, work all weekend along with him. We had a <laughs> garden. We were mulching. We were cutting the lawn. We, you know, any project he could think of, we were doing. And he instilled this work ethic in us. All my friends were going, hey, they're playing basketball. Dad, can I go? Nope, you got to get your your stuff done, Josh. And he would be out there with us and working right alongside us. That time we spent our Saturdays and Sundays, we didn't have that big of a piece of property. He was making up stuff for us. I was going to say, it must have been a beautiful landscape on a... (laughs) We were cutting wood for like... We would never use enough all this wood. We'd have to be burning all winter. But he wanted to instill this work ethic and he would always say, you know, I remember I'd be sweeping up the garage and I thought I did a good enough job. You know, his thing was, if you're going to do a job, you got to do it right. And he'd point out things that I missed and I'd have to do it again until I got it right. And this being productive, you know, it was our weekend, yet it was his weekend too, yet he was spending it working and making sure we do a good job and taking real pride in that had really stuck with me and really made me part of who I am and, and successful in keep moving, keep doing stuff. And, and, you know, even if it's not, even if on my weekends, I'm not doing yard work all weekend, but geez, instead of sitting around, oh, maybe I'll go for a run. I got to do this or do that. I try to keep doing stuff. I don't think my wife uh, doesn't think it's that healthy. But for me, that's what drives me. I don't mind it. And I'm assuming it's because of my childhood and the way I was brought up. But it's just who I am. And it's you know part of the mentality of, of my family. Okay. So, Josh, one last question for you. What has you excited? What are you looking forward to right now? And what has you excited uh, personally, professionally, whatever is on your mind? But when you wake up in the morning these days, what's got Josh Geller excited? I, uh, when I was in business school, I took a class 
uh, Oprah Winfrey taught a class. This is at, at, we were at Northwestern at Kellogg and she taught a class one semester at, at our business school. And I signed up for the class and her, her class was kind of business 101, but it would bring in different leaders across the industry, across the political spectrum. If we were talking about, we were talking about China and, and opening up China, she brought in Henry Kissinger as her guest speaker. Talking about the internet, she brought in Jeff Bezos. We were talking about civil rights, she brought in Loretta King. Like uh, every week, it was like one star after the next. Wow, that's some class, holy cow. Bill, and really uh, an amazing, uh, experience. And as you listen to these super successful people week after week, you take away certain things. And one that stuck with me was Jeff Bezos. And Jeff Bezos back then, this is uh, 1999. So so Amazon wasn't what it was today. It was probably selling books back then and, and a couple other things, but nothing like the behemoth it is today. And what he said stuck with stuck with me. I didn't realize who he was going to be at that point. I would have asked for a job, but uh, <laughs> but the uh, his take was: listen, I view the world as opposed to fighting over a piece of pie. I view the world as unlimited. There's unlimited opportunities out there, and you don't have to fight over every little piece. Let's grow it even bigger and make it bigger. And to me, that's optimism and that open ending opportunity abundance stuck with like when i tell our team we can do anything we can import and source anything from all over the world and for us it's just we only have time limitations and you got to figure out there's a hundred opportunities to chase what's the right hundred to chase is, is the key and that's the key to me. There's unlimited uh, upside, unlimited growth and, and exciting things ahead for our company that keeps me uh, jumping out of bed every morning in a, in a good mood. Well, I think that's great. And I think it's a perfect place to end it. So, Josh, I want to thank you again, Josh Gellert, for coming on our program. You know, I think a lot of interesting stories and philosophies for our, our entrepreneurs to think about and to listen to. And again, thanks for being a great guest. Thanks for having me, Bill. This is a lot of fun. All right, Josh, take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Fingerprints on Success podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. Mandelbaum Barrett PC specializes in partnering with successful business owners and proven entrepreneurs on all of their legal matters. Visit www.mblawfirm.com for more information. Once again, it's www.mblawfirm.com. We'll see you on the next episode.